Hello and welcome to Reptory Screenings, episode 46. I'm your host, Adam, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello, movies. And Destiny. Movies! That's it. That's what we do here. We talk about movies. Jackson, have you seen nope, any movies? No, 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 no. Of course I haven't. <laughs> do anything or watch anything. It's been a weird, weird few weeks. Um, Tell me about football. Don't I? I don't care. Don't talk to me about football. The fuck? That's just what you've been doing with your time. You've been watching it football. It is what I've been doing. Look, we all... It's what I've been doing with my time. The football's on. I was not going to talk about it here, but I'm also not going to be like, oh, I don't care. Oh, you know, I'm not going to take this. You don't need to bring it up just to hit it down. You just don't care. It's fine. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I can. No, I did. no you can't. No, you can't. That's it's how fun. this works. See, by doing this, you have invited more football talk onto the podcast. Yeah, but on VoIP Life, not on here. No, I guess that's true. Destiny, what have you seen? Uh, where should I start? You and I watched... Uh, I guess we can go in chronological order. Do you remember what chronological order is? Because I don't. <laughs> we watched Eve's Bayou first. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Uh, Eve's Bayou is a movie written and directed by uh, Cassie Lemons, um, who was a, mostly an actress. I know of her as an actress, but I guess she did direct a bunch of movies now. What else was she in? Uh, she was in uh, Silence of the Lambs and Candyman. Oh. Yeah. Cool. She was Clarice's, um, I think she was Clarice's, uh, roommate in Sons of Lambs. Now that you're telling me this, I googled her just to look at her, and she does look familiar. Yep. Um, yeah. Anyway. Oh, she's married uh, to Vondi Curtis Hall. I don't know who that is. <laughs> he played the guy with the really long hair in Eve's Bayou. <laughs> Oh, okay. Incredible. <laughs> Lovely. Anyway, Ease Bayou is a, uh, how would you describe Ease Bayou? Like a coming of age story about like hoodoo? It's kind of a coming of age story set in the America. It's it's set in Louisiana and it, it's got a hoodoo backbone, uh, which is like a form of African-American um, like spiritual practices. And uh, it's about this kid played by Journey Smollett who has Samuel L. Jackson's her dad and he loves the ladies. He's a doctor who loves the ladies. We'll talk about doctors who love the ladies later. Um, (laughs) And she catches him cheating on his wife and it kind of unfolds into like all sorts of trouble and magic and mystery for this girl and her entire family yeah uh debbie morgan is in it as destiny's future self (laughs) are you talking about the uh aunt character yes yeah she's really cool (laughs) (laughs) you know i'd rather be the diane carroll character who's like this witch that like lives on the edge of town and like kids mess with her and stuff all right fair enough (laughs) It's really good. It's on Shudder. Um, it's kind of a weird get for Shudder because it's not really a horror movie, but they like to pick things that like no one else is looking at otherwise, and uh, I bless them for it, really. We also uh, watched... Yeah, we watched Girlfriends, which is the 1978 uh, comedy by uh, Claudia Wheel, um, which is about a 
it's like a girl in her 20s named Susan and she's she's trying to become a photographer which means she takes a lot of like photographs of weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff and in between tries to sell art photographs and like get a gallery going or whatever um and she lives with this woman who's getting married and moving out um and she's like shit I've been abandoned by my friends and I'm just gonna live here and try to get by New York as all of my other people have fallen into adulthood and here I am still trying to scrap it out um it is a really influential, like, second wave feminism movie. And I don't mean that in the derogatory sense that people say second wave now. It's mostly just good. Uh, it's cited as the inspiration for girls uh, in a lot of ways. I, I, I'm pretty sure Russian Doll lifts one of its big events directly out of this movie. Destiny disagrees, but I'm 100% certain they're just lifting it straight out of Russian Doll. It's got, like, Francis I Ha vibes. Like <laughs> the look and feel is very Russian Doll. I don't know about the plot. That party is just the Russian doll party. I swear to God. Okay. It's really good. Uh, you know, it, it, this one's on Criterion, um, and we enjoyed it a lot. We did. I um, love anything set in New York in the 70s, and this movie didn't disappoint. Yep. And it had Bob Balaban. It does have Bob Balaban. My has favorite Eli character Wallach. actor. <laughs> oh, yep. It, it has Christopher Guest as, like, a hot guy, which is not how I think of Christopher Guest ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. Like, he's, like, the charming, funny male lead, and it's like, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 70s were a wild time. And unlike every people in New York, in the in like, trying to scrap in their 20s, it's the 70s, so New York sucks and everyone's actually poor and not, like, fake New York poor. So it avoids the problems that, like, girls has. <laughs> New York changed a lot in the back <laughs> half of the 20th century. It really did. Um, yeah, uh, liked it quite a bit. Um, and then the third movie we watched was The Blair Witch Project, which I had not seen since I think the year 2000. Um, is, you know, the famous found footage movie of 1999. The sensation um, that, you know, spawned a bunch of sequels and whatever. And uh, I want to watch all of them. And we had neither of us had seen Blair Witch since it was new, basically. So we watched Blair Witch. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. And Destiny thought it sucked. I just, okay, like, strong wordage. <laughs> I just was a little bored. That's all. <laughs> I just, I think it gets to the essential thing about horror movies that, uh, that when they work is you get characters, you allow them time for you to like invest in them. Um, I don't think they do like the best job. It's like not the best written movie in the world, but um, they do that. And then you see the their world fall apart. Like I like the stress of just being lost in the woods. That is scary on its own. The supernatural stuff is like light in that movie. But if I was lost in the woods, I'd be falling apart. Also, it would be the scariest thing that could possibly happen. I liked them falling apart. I just didn't think the tension was... I don't know. I just didn't feel anything. I don't know. I, I hadn't seen that movie since I saw it in the theater. And I did better than when I saw it in the theater. Because when I saw it in the theater, I was falling asleep. We should have watched the, uh, the documentary that aired on television before the movie came out about how they found the footage. and. I vaguely remember that, yeah. I, vag I, also, I also vaguely remember watching that. <laughs> Curse of the Blair Witch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I remember when this came out, like, I was, like, 14, I guess. I def... 13? I definitely remember being confused, like, because I hadn't heard of anything like this as to whether this was, like, a documentary or not. I also thought the alien autopsy was real and they aired the alien autopsy. So, you know, you know, as a gullible child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, I wish I'd been you. The, it, the, look, if it was re- if if it's on television and they're saying it's a documentary, it's got to be real. I didn't know. I just think one of them was on the Tonight Show, like the week I saw it or something. Oh, I was not. I was not plugged into the media machine the way you were. <laughs> <laughs> I just believed the television. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, that's it. Those are the three movies we watched. Which actually is a lot for us. I guess I don't know. Three in one week, and, and and yeah, and we still managed to watch a lot of Star Trek Voyager. So, this was yeah, this was we like did. three weeks. Has this been three weeks? I think it's been three weeks since we were. Oh, okay, so we watched probably two movies in one week, and then we watched another one another week. Yeah, but it seemed like it just seemed like a lot. Oh uh, yeah, we're working on Voyager. Uh, also, I have a new podcast. Briefly, um, it is not on our on this network, but I, me and my friend Autumn, finished watching all the Ghibli movies for then an airplane, which is on our network, but is now dead. Good riddance. Um, and we started a <laughs> we started a new podcast called Gotham City Limits, where we watch Batman the animated series, um, and probably other Batman media besides. Uh, but that is just started. Um, it is on uh, if you go to Export Audio, uh, actually Export. What is the? We don't have a URL yet for this. I don't think. You don't. Know, you do not know. Yeah, is exportaudio the Patreon? I maybe, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. This so is your, one, your if deal. you go to the, if you go to the Export Audio Patreon, it's one dollar, and you get the episodes a week early. Um, you get a bunch of other episodes because the Export Audio Export Audio uh, Network does more podcasts than Abnormal Mapping does at this point. I feel like. <laughs> um. I'm just trying to get to the Export Audio actual website. Is that exportaudio.com? Do you know, Jackson, off the top of your head? I'm trying to get there. No, because they're my friends, and I just like press subscribe on the podcast button <laughs> Yeah. when I yeah. need to listen to the podcast. This is supposed to have a URL, but I don't remember what it is. I'll put it in the description if we have one by then, but the first episode is not live free yet. Um, I'll be plugging it on my Twitter when it is, and that's going to be weekly. Uh, we're just watching one episode of Batman. We watch on Leather Wings. It was great. It's a good podcast. Very chill. Uh, it's very similar in tone to this, I feel like, in a lot of ways, because, um, you know, I'm just going to want to hang out on Thursday nights and talk about Batman a little. Nice. That's very cool. Uh, yeah. Time to talk about this movie. Okay, so our movie this week is Eyes Wide Shut, Stanley Kubrick film, uh, written by uh, Kubrick and Frederick Raphael. It's based on a novel called Tromnovel by author uh, Arthur Schnitzler, um, which is a 1920s novel. This movie came out in 1999. Kubrick shot this movie for 15 months straight and then I... edited it and turned it in, died immediately afterwards. Uh... <laughs> Me when I finish any of my college projects. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, notable because it had Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, who were married at the time, um, naked and kissing in this movie. Like this movie was sold on sexual intrigue, which is very funny given the movie that was presented at the end. Um, and uh, you know, it, there, we watched it on HBO and watched the edited version. I didn't realize we were watching the edited version that was had some uh, CG men put in the big party scene to get it away from an NC-17 rating. I went um, and looked at the differences. Up. It's very funny. It's very funny. I um, didn't know that there were two different versions. I will. I will link you the, the side I was looking at. Destiny. Anyway, Jackson, would you like to tell people what the movie's about? Uh, this movie is about Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, who are technically called uh, Dr. William, Bill Harford, and Alice Harford, uh, but you will just refer to them as Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. It is that kind of movie. Uh, uh, Tom Cruise is a doctor, um, and he's been married to Alice for nine years. They have a small child, a seven-year-old uh, girl. Uh, what's her name? 
Helena. Helena, yes, that's it. And they are at a terrible party for rich people uh, because uh, Bill is the doctor for some rich people and um, they've been invited there. Uh, he connects with the pianist who is like an old friend who dropped out of a uh, medical school and you know became a professional pianist and uh, eventually um, connects with this pianist enough to like get uh, the password to the secret gig he's been doing. Um, and at the secret gig... Uh, like he, he goes on a whole adventure, goes through New York, uh, almost sleeps with a prostitute because he's mad about he's a, you know they had a, the, I guess I skipped the most important scene which is uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman have a big argument about whether she's been unfaithful and she tells a big story about how she hasn't been but she's thought about it and he as a stupid man hasn't imagined that women can be horny too and then he has a whole crisis about it and uh, falls into this one crazy night in New York City where he like almost uh, sleeps. Uh, with a prostitute and then decides not to but like hilariously ridden one where she's like oh no I don't check the time and I'm like okay <laughs> okay who wrote this um, and then uh, finds from um, uh, this this PNS the password to the gig he's doing which is like a weird gig with like oh I've got I'm blindfolded and it's got a secret password and you're not going to believe the women there uh, so she goes uh, gets a costume in a scene that is ludicrous but not relevant to the plots um goes to this party and finds out it is he's like oh damn eyes wide shut is happening in here because <laughs> it's the one famous thing from the movie <laughs> <laughs> tom cruise and eyes wide shut it looks like eyes wide shut's going on <laughs> and discovers that you know it is a masked bull in a massive mansion uh where everyone's like having sex with each other wildly and uh he is discovered because he's trying to assassin's creed sneak through this place in real life he doesn't know the second password and uh he is uh threatened and about to have his clothes like taken off and god knows what happened to him uh but then one of the women uh like steps forward and redeems him by which she is taken away and he is like you are free uh she has made the promise now and he's like what the hell is going on uh with all this like weird arcane supernatural stuff um then he goes back home uh nicole kidman has been having a dream that is very like it's not it is not the same dream as like the thing he has seen but it's close enough and it is representative of her own desire uh to like um you know have sex with a bunch of men and make fun of him uh it's, it's the same naval officer she's been fantasizing about and uh and he wakes up the next day and starts investigating what the hell happened uh everyone's disappeared the the, the pianist guy's gone um eventually he finds uh like a woman who was one of the women at the party and she's dead now she's died of an overdose he's being followed everything's going crazy he's like oh my god the patriots are after me and uh eventually ends up uh, at the house of um the rich uh patient who like invited him to the party to begin with who explains that all of this is just a coincidence uh like they are mad at him and he is out of his depth but they are doing ridiculous theater uh, to scare him and he should just understand this uh no one all the like the the person died because it was an overdose when uh, the pianist left he got beat up because he like betrayed the password but no one's been killed there's no grand conspiracy or so he says and uh tom cruise goes home only to find the missing mask uh from his costume in 
his wife's bed that has been laid there presumably by like the onlookers of the secret society or whatever doesn't know what to do about that uh the next day they are in hamleys apparently they have flown to london and i'm like that's fucking hamleys why are they in hamleys this isn't in new york i know this shop um and they have their conversation and decide that whether dream or reality that they must just be normal and not have breakdowns about whether they might think about cheating occasionally and tom cruise is like okay and then she says we should probably hit fuck though because we've both been failing to have sex for the last two days and that's the end of the movie uh <laughs> it's important to note it it, it, it it looks like uk because it is the uk because this entire movie was shot in the uk um yes because kubrick is famously afraid of flying and so he just recreated a new york city like set I mean, it's definitely a soundstage every time he's yes. on new york yes but, but when There's, they go yeah. inside when they go inside the shop i'm like hang on is there a new york is there a shop in new york that looks literally exactly like hamley's because <laughs> i've been yeah. in this building there's there's like a couple shots and like the big process shot where he's in the car is actual new york but everything else is uk Mm -hmm. I would have not, I didn't have, or excuse me, I'm trying to say, I had no clue. He fooled me. I mean, it is only obvious to me because I've been inside Hamley's. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. But I just, I thought he was really walking New York streets. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he, uh, Kubrick being the way he was, uh, had people literally, like, measure, like, every part of this thing they were adapting and then recreated exactly like everything is exactly how it would be in actual uh greenwich village so um he's just that guy there's like stories of him on set uh because this movie's a christmas movie and everything's lit by christmas lights using the like natural lighting rigs that he used for like uh barry linden um where he would notice if lights were out of place and be able to put them back exactly where they were the day before yep just the kind of guy he was wow <laughs> Did anyone say, uh, Stanley, if you want things to be measured exactly as in New York, could you not simply take a boat to New York? Um, <laughs> no, he would not. The, the movie's 15 months. You could have you could have just taken a couple of those months to take a boat. I don't know how long a boat to America takes. It's like a, you know, a few weeks, right? Yeah. Um, I would have just done that. But I guess he wants to, you know, his family's in England, so he's... Maybe I would have just made a movie set in England, but that's just me. I'm built different. Uh, <laughs> the most important thing about this movie that we need to discuss first is apparently his mask costs twenty five dollars, and that's impossible. There's no way that mask costs twenty five dollars. <laughs> I've bought twenty five dollar masks; they fall apart. No, that mask is like two hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> at the minimum. Yeah, not not to rent because he loses it. He has to pay yeah. for the whole miles, and then I'm like, oh, is he gonna say like four thousand dollars, and that's gonna be like a plot point? And they use the twenty five dollars. I'm like, are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> are you actually kidding me? It's weird because I feel like a mask with like such great like like ceramic and metal work that looks like it's like designed around Tom Cruise's lower half of his face would cost a little more than that, <laughs> but apparently not. No, Millet just has it lying around. Yep. It's ridiculous. Uh, I've seen this movie before. I really liked it. Coming back to it, I my opinion remains unchanged. Um, I think it's a fun... It's it's subversive in the way that which like this movie was sold as an erotic thriller um, and is a movie about how two of the most boring people on earth almost blow up their lives because they have one discussion about sexuality. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I think that's great. I think this is like a... a it is not meant to be like a farce, but it is, it it is, is a like... Farce. 
what I mean is it is not meant to be like a broad comedy about this sort of thing, but it is a a guy who's made a lot of movies about the human condition, making a movie about how funny it is that people just get this way sometimes. I understand um, when you say it's not meant to be a broad fast, but what I mean is, what I mean this? Is he's, he's not making a movie about like, oh, straight people. He is sympathetic to this, but he does think it's ridiculous. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's true. It is, it is not a necessarily like, oh, you know, look at me. But he does like, he is being threatened by like, at this point in the movie, as we are to understand it, the secret society that rules the world and has creepy supernatural orgies, uh, fantasizing, like, in his car, all he can think of is a weird image of, like, a sailor banging his wife. It's so funny. <laughs> it's the silliest thing that's ever happened. Don't get in arguments about sexuality when you and your wife are getting stoned. After you it's put your moral. daughter in bed. Because <laughs> the, thing, the thing she admits is, like, the most nothing thing ever. Well, it, Yeah, it, that's... It, before the admission, they're having this discussion or whatever, and he he says that he just does, he assumes that women only have sex because they want to have kids or whatever, or doing their wifely duties. Like, this being an adaptation of a 1920s novel is, like, imperative to understanding why the, yes. the story is the way it is. But uh, he's like, I just I just never thought about women as people who, like, like to fuck. Uh, and she's like, are you kidding me? And because she's stoned, just goes on, like, I'm going to overshare a little here. And it, it blows his mind and almost ruins their lives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was, like, totally taken out by, like, how unrealistic some of the discussions around it were. But then I realized, like, this is an adaptation. And this is a world where this guy, like, is so separate from... He just, like, I don't know, I was really put off by, like, a lot of the shots of women in this movie because they're so male gazy. And then I realized he's he's... Of course he doesn't think his wife has desires. I mean, and, and yeah. deliberately, like, uh, juxtaposed with the fact that the way we are introduced to this whole conflict, right, from his perspective, is two women, like, hitting on him at the party to a degree that is beyond comical, as they're like, we're going to take you to where the rainbow ends, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Come the, with us into the secret room. <laughs> I, I like the montage where it's him in the in the doctor's office, where he's like, you know, examining that lady with her shirt off or whatever. And he says as much when she talks to him about like, uh, do you think your patients ever get hot and bothered when like the hot doctor's feeling them up? And he's like, it's a doctor's office. I don't even think about this. Because I don't think he does. I think his like his remove from the idea of like human sexuality is like so absolute that like he finds it bothersome that those women are hitting on him at the party. He doesn't even th- he doesn't yes. even have the, the the good grace to be flattered by. It. He's like, damn, this is really awkward. I just want to get out of here. This place sucks. He is very stoked when he is called away on official business. Yes. Um, but that does mean the minute that he's like, it, this like placid like uh, uh, like denial of human like humanity is like thrown in his face he just loses his mind he's like i i have not i've not thought about people having sex like for real in years uh now i've got to go and like hook up with the sex worker and i'm gonna uh, maybe i'll call that lady whose dad died who who clearly just needs an escape and maybe maybe we can hook up like who knows anything's possible <laughs> just grasping at straws, as a drowning man <laughs> he is like it's like someone who's never heard of sex trying to figure out what it is and like I, I this person I'll do it this way and it's like you're Tom Cruise you could fuck anyone right like uh, people are throwing at him or in people are throwing themselves at him this entire movie because he's like this like hot charming man but he has no understanding of humanity and that's why he's like uh I'm too scared of anything that's happening here I'm going to you know go to the 
a weird chaos party instead. Yeah. Which, because he has no perception of this stuff, like, the movie to me is about the way in which, like, the second half, after the party, where he is in this paranoia, paranoia spiral, and it's like a it's like a noir film or whatever, a spy thriller for a little bit, is exactly what happened. Like, the first time I met someone who admitted they smoked weed, my mind was blown. I'm like, oh, they do drugs. <laughs> yes. They, this is a drug user. <laughs> <laughs> This is and exactly this is him. Like. like he's he's he met he met he met some swingers at a party that's like kind of uptight or whatever, but like they're into their thing or whatever. They want to do the druid thing, like go nuts. Um, and he's lost his mind. He's like, they're gonna follow me, like in the you know secret society that's murdering people. Uh, <laughs> like I do believe Sidney Pollock when he comes in is like, we just said that to scare you. Like this is just a bad bunch of bad happenstance here. You walked into the wrong party, and. Yeah, people want to protect their image. They're all like politicians and judges and shit. Um, but uh, you know, we're not murdering people. <laughs> yep. But it's very easy to someone who's never encountered anything other than sex with his wife before to think, "Oh, these people are sickos who would murder and kill and cover it up, pile of bodies in the back." I like to imagine the like logistics of this stuff because they're like. They, they do the thing in the party, and it's all, like, masks, and like, you, the promise has been made! <laughs> and Tom Cruise is like, oh god, I've walked into, like, weird Castlevania SFMs. Um, and uh, then he comes back the next day, and they're like, okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna slowly drive out. <laughs> we're gonna slowly <laughs> drive out to the to the gate, and we're gonna hand him a envelope with his name on it to give him this message. It's gonna really freak him out. <laughs> it does. It does freak him out, to be fair. It does freak him out. Yeah, it successfully it freaks him out. Uh, the, other, the thing about that is, like, while he's going through this, he's, like, encountering, like, the weird like the weird realities of new york in like you know he goes he goes to the the hotel and he meets the clerk and the clerk is like i mean i feel like he is deliberately portrayed as like a gay guy who's flirting with him um and he's just it's alan coming yes i know, I know. <laughs> <But> <laughs> alan coming doesn't have to play a gay guy flirting with tom cruise he just does in this movie for sure uh <laughs> And then he goes from that where he's like just oblivious to it and walks away to like the the this weird setup where he bought the costume last night where he's willing to ignore the weird like father daughter. There's a bunch of guys hiding out and sleeping with his clearly underage daughter because it, it it was annoying and bothersome. It didn't seem it seemed like a problem for the police yesterday, but now that he's like sold his daughter to these like Japanese guys or whatever, uh, it's like oh my god, I can't believe that that you know. Uh, like sex work happens and human trafficking i'm like my dude you went to the party with like all the sex workers last night yes the way in which like he interfaces with the different levels of like society right is kind of the thing that is interesting to this movie yes because um like the even in, in so depending on how you read it there are different ways of like interpreting what happens in the back half of the movie not because different things happen but like through the lens of if the secret society is real or not which i you know don't think it necessarily i mean is. it's i mean it is real but it it's is just real. a swingers party right like i, I believe Sidney yeah. Pollock when he gives that monologue but like yeah. if, if if he's lying which is like a possibility space the movie allows you like think about uh the ways in which like the violence off screen is implied to like interact with uh tom cruise's life is really interesting to me because in the world in which they have deliberately left Tom Cruise alive but killed everyone else, which is the world that Tom Cruise believes is real for a bit, uh, it, it like all the violence is done to like the people they consider disposable, right? Like you know the service workers, the pianos, these uh, sex workers. And I do think it's interesting the way that like 
Tom Cruise thinks he's immune because he's like just close enough to the rich people yes. to feel real. He is also a service where he is their doctor. He exactly. makes house calls. Like he is, he was really, he lives in a really nice apartment house. It's not clear. I think it's like a big apartment, but he lives in a really nice place with a bunch of paintings on the walls. Like it feels opulent, but the way in which he like, he works a job, he has a doctor's office with a bunch of like old people cards on the walls for Christmas. Cause only old people send Christmas cards, to their doctors. Um, and he, you know, he makes house calls to his rapidly aging and dying clientele. Um, he is upwardly mobile in the space, but he's not part of them. He is right? not even like, close, right? Like he is. He, he, yeah. he, went to school, he went to school with Nick Nightingale. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the, I think the position of like him in this movie is really interesting, and like because he, he definitely at least thinks he is close enough to this to like matter, and he's just not. Yeah. He is also <laughs> in the service class, but like you know, very rich. You know, I I am jealous of doctors. I'm like, damn, you get paid a whole lot. Uh, but he's not like part of the fucking like elites as portrayed in this movie. He is uh, performing a service in the same way that Nick Nightingale is. Yeah, yeah. He thinks he's so important, swinging his uh, what was his board license around? Yes, he does. He, he, he flashes it like he's a cop. <laughs> like every it's time, it's so, so funny. <laughs> Um, I think part of the like I think the reason this works is because they get Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman right like you're in, they have a certain cachet of being like glamorous Hollywood royalty especially in 99 uh, before Tom Cruise became a weirdo and they're like married and they're both famous independently before they got married but like the movie opens with them like putting their kid to bed and she's like peeing right like it's meant to be these are these are normal people in a situation where they find themselves on the cusp of like weird rich um, even before the weird stuff happens. I, I think one of the most like uh, indicative moments of that stuff is like right in the first scene, right? When they're getting ready and they're doing all these things and there's like classical music playing. But this, the movie goes out of your way as it's like setting the scene with the classical music. You then like break that by having him pause it on the CD player. He's playing the classical music. Yes. He, <laughs> it's not just like, oh, look at these opulent people. Thus we play the classical music as they get dressed. He in his own apartment is playing the classical music before they like tell the babysitter <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> it's an incredible bit of character. For this weird dweeb. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's uh, that stuff is really good, um, and I think like he the whole uh, what is it like he's at the party and once he's like un like everything's falling apart, it keeps cutting back to her because this is still the night where she got stoned and told him too much and then he left because he got a call that his patient died and so she's like just hanging out like eating cookies, drinking milk in the kitchen, like waiting for yes. him to get home. It's good. I love the cuts back to her. <laughs> And she, and then she's like, uh, he's like, oh, I've, I've got her, you know, because he's he's at the sex worker's house at this point, right? Like, and uh, she calls him, and then he's like, oh, you know, the, the, we're still waiting for some relatives. And he's like, all right, I'm going to bed then. <laughs> the bit where he comes in, he's like, this is a nice place, and it's just like pizza boxes on the like the counter. It's like it looks like a '70s New York apartment and not a '99 New York apartment. I mean, he uh, calls it like fun. cozy twice in yes. a way where she is like, this this is what you say when you've got a big apartment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's ridiculous uh that stuff is all very good i love the like dis the way in which he bounces between two worlds and f is clearly uncomfortable in either of them it just like really works um i'm generally like a tom cruise movie fan but i think this is like one of his better roles where he doesn't have he doesn't actually do a lot other than look like kind of gobsmacked by everything he runs into <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but I appreciate because it, it like coasts on his reputation as like the cool guy, but like where he's old enough that it, it's like you coasted on this into being everyone's hot doctor, but like it doesn't <laughs> last forever, dude. Uh, yes, and he's he's uh, he feels he feels like out of a lot of the scenes. Right, there's a scene where he gets coffee and he's just like too much to be there because it's Tom Cruise sitting down, and being like, "Can I have a coffee?" And he's like vaguely not quite hitting on this one because he doesn't know how to do that but like the woman is charmed because this this like uh hot doctor's talking to her and he's tr- and then he's like starts doing a like i'm a private detective act and it's just like who is this alien that has landed in new york <laughs> yeah that stuff's all very good um i can't imagine like going in like oh, i'm gonna go see the new erotic thriller and it's this movie <laughs> Yeah, this movie was not, like, the marketing versus the reality of the film. Because this was my first time seeing it. Very different. I thought they were both going to get drawn into this web of murder, lies, and sex. And yeah. It's not that movie. It's a very, very light plot. Because the trailer... It's a very... Oh, oh, go on. The trailer <laughs> is that they did a bad, bad thing as they're, like, making out and then it cuts to, like, the party shit, like, with the masks and everything. So it implies that they're both pulled into a weird swinger's sex life and it ruins yeah. their marriage, right? But is not at all what the movie's about. I so also... I the home... Oh, go on. I also thought that uh, Nicole Kim was going to end up involved with the, like, stuff by the end. Yeah, because, like, even the woman that uh you know sacrifices herself at the party kind of looks like nicole kidman and has like a vibe and similar voice so i thought maybe oh maybe that is his wife maybe she's been involved in this whole time like it kind of makes you think like something's gonna happen and then that never goes in that direction uh no instead she's someone who feels guilty about admitting to her husband she fantasized about one guy like 10 years ago (laughs) yes (laughs) i saw i saw a hot naval officer once and then the next morning, I was like, oh, I feel conflicted because if he's there, I'll, I'll uh, do anything he says. I'm like, will you, though? <laughs> this isn't how a human interfaces with, like, crushes, right? No, but then she has that dream where it's like, you know, all, by doing this, I've degraded myself and our marriage. And I'm I'm sorry. I feel terrible. Like, she wakes up, like, crying about it. Like, these are the yeah, most, like, like, straight married out of high school people in the entire fucking world. Yes. They don't understand anything about relationships or sex. Like, it's baffling. I people have sex dreams all the time you're not cheating on your husband when you have them you can't control them like i just want to shake her um and that's the stuff where like you know this is a novel of a certain era but i do think that people are like this like you know yes maybe not to such an extreme degree like the exaggeration is the point but um oh yeah 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 i mean the idea that like uh you know women don't actually have sexual desire right it's still pervasive even if it doesn't take that language a lot of the time Mm -hmm. Um, it is still like a huge way that men uh, view the world and view how sex works and um, also the the idea that like if you think about other people when you're in a relationship that's cheating like it's wrong and bad (laughs) yes that's everywhere right like yeah you know this this is like classic this is you're right this is classic high school first relationship stuff that you get scared about because you're a teenager who doesn't know anything except tom yes. cruise is a hot doctor in his 30s yeah. also american married life or like just western married life is based on believing in that like world right so yes mm-hmm. yes you have to buy into i only it. desire my wife she's the mother of my children well, he, he even phrases it like this like when he they're talking about like have you not how do you like do you have do you just like think this little of women and he's like no i think this much of i respect them so much that i have so total unshakable faith in you this like weird paternalistic um 
women don't want sex thing that Tom Cruise believes, he is framing to himself as like a way he uh, empowers and respects his wife, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which like no wonder she, she gets pissed off about it. At. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. Man, it's good. I I liked this movie at the time. I still really like it. Um, Kubrick just makes movies I mostly enjoy. Uh, I was just not prepared for because I knew about the Eyes Wide Shut stuff, right? Like I know, like yes. when I think of Eyes Wide Shut, <laughs> I think the mask ball, everyone's having an orgy everywhere, and it's like, ooh, the secret powers of the the sickos, yes. <laughs> the sicko guys. That is the uh, the ultra <laughs> reputation of Eyes Wide Shut. Because I had heard the rumor before I seen it that, like, you know, maybe, maybe they that he got too close. They killed Stanley Kubrick for this movie. No, they fucking didn't. No, <laughs> is that is that like a thing people that is, say? Yeah, that that doesn't. People legend, think like, this he movie got too close is, to the, yeah. He was going to expose the Illuminati. <laughs> and the movie was, okay, the reason why the studio edited it was because he was too close to the truth. It, the truth that the Illuminati are a bunch of nerds who just like <laughs> hang out in masks and fuck, sure, whatever. Um, I read about the occult and secret societies heavily. It is just this banal. <laughs> Yo. Yeah. But like, like I, I, I hear that. I've heard that come up occasionally. Um, like when people talk about, you know, how fucked Hollywood is and stuff. Uh, like, but this movie's not actually about that. The movie's not about the like abuses of power of like any kind of like uh structure, right? That's they did not. <laughs> this is lo- it no. is not exact. Mm-hmm. It is mostly eighty percent a movie about a weird man like bumping into like ridiculous New York caricatures. The scene in the um. Uh, costume shop goes on for like 10 minutes and i felt like my mind had seen another world as it was ha- like expanding before me <laughs> like he shows up he pulls out his card and he's like i'm doctor and i need a costume and the guy's like the guy moved i own the costume shop now and then like he finds his daughter and these two men who you know and he's like oh, I, she's clearly a child we must call the police and then tom cruise is very uncomfortable about all of this uh, uh and it's just it's, uh, what is happening doesn't she like whisper in his ear yeah she whispers in his ear we never find out what it was uh which yeah. is good um and then the next day she's like very flirty with him as he's like if you need anything not just a costume and you're like gross it's gross gross gross, gross, gross. it's so gross yeah but I do like that as, like, you know, because the movie is definitely drawing a line that as he is in, you know, you said this earlier, he is currently investigating the secret society um, evil uh, prostitution ring or whatever, uh, doing murders while this guy is in front of his eyes sell- trying to sell his daughter to him. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, uh, you know, the, the movie's doing that intentionally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He didn't even think to call, go and like try to call Seattle and see if uh, Nick Valentine or Nick Nightingale's back with Nightingale. his uh, family. Mrs. Nick. Uh, Mrs. Nick. Cindy He's Pollock fucking Mrs. Nick. <laughs> that made me laugh. I, I love Cindy, Sydney Pollock. I uh, miss him. Yeah. Um, it's weird because like I was uh, looking up the stuff and apparently they even shot with uh, Harvey Keitel as that character. And, oh, wow. Uh, and Stanley Kubrick didn't like him and fired him. <laughs> Wow. Didn't know that. Yeah. He shot for 15 months. 15 months. The movie's like, it's long, but it's not that long. 
He's, he, I mean, he's famously like horrible to his actors, makes him do like a hundred takes. He's that guy. He fucking seemed miserable to work for, and yet everyone worked for him. So, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, he broke <laughs> Shelley Duvall. Yes, he did. Yeah. It, awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I guess I know about Kubrick's whole situation, and uh, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, but I do think it was really interesting watching this film, um, which gets to this point because it is a very modern film like this film's made in the 90s mm-hmm. and so like when i think of kubrick's reputation as a perfectionist right um i i understand it i get it when i'm watching a 2001 I'm like, like deeply composed shots and uh uh like loads of um you know perfectly symmetrical frames uh held still on the tripod or on a steady cam which he like invents for the shining isn't it um I don't know. I think I think I believe so. Yeah, I believe yeah. it's Teddy Campbell's shot. But yeah. that's the kind of like perfectionism type stuff that I I think of when I think of uh, Kubrick movies. But this is so close to the modern era that like the reality of the fact that it's from 1999 and not 2004 overrides that because it just has normal color grading and like natural lights. And this is the era where like the new perfectionist director is going to be like David Fincher or someone, right? Like. Yeah, and it's all going to be about digital correction and perfectly choreographed stuff in that sense. So this film actually ends up feeling like really loose because of its time period, even though that's not how it was made. It's weird because like I think this is one of the like in terms of lighting, one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Just it's all draped in mm-hmm. Christmas lights. Like every place has a Christmas tree and everything's decorated. Like it's all. And I know that like he cheats it sometimes. Like there's places that are like extra lit. Um, but it is all like every area is like everything looks like firelight. Everything is like warm um, and bright. And like to the way where like daytime feels like painful and strung out and like overexposed because the, the movie is about nighttime spaces that are lit in the way in which people can like live in them. Right. Like it, it's, it's a place where dark feels welcoming and like warm and like, you know, vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. I think it's so good. But when it cuts to daytime, it looks like a 90 shot of a daytime. It yes. doesn't, there's no, like, there's a world in which, like, the, you know, if this movie gets made five years later, the grading is so harsh that it's on all the shots. Yes. Um, and the fact that it is made in 99 and not uh, slightly later, I think really gives it uh, an amazing feel for, like, how it bounces between the various, like, lighting circumstances in the movie. Yep. Um, it's specifically when he comes home after the big night at the party and, like, it is that, it's early enough morning that it's like just full light out, but definitely too early for any human being to be up. It's like a very distinct like lighting setup. It's just so good in that shot of him coming home. <laughs> yes, but yeah. it is completely full of shit because he says it's yeah. four. And I'm like, no, it's yes. not. That is, it's, yeah. it's, it's Christmas. You don't, you know, this isn't the middle of summer. It's Christmas. This is about seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You, you can't you can't ask Destiny at some point was like how late do you think it is that New York's just like bumping like this <laughs> New York is bumping all hours and that's I what know. I was getting at but <laughs> uh, it's just it's funny because uh, a lot happens that night <laughs> we do get a slight time scale like he's finishing yeah. um, he's finishing at the uh, uh, the like jazz bar before midnight yes so and he's like probably at the big house by about three. So I think that's a reasonable time scale. Yeah. But there's enough time for after the party, uh, Mandy to uh, like overdose. It get in the papers that she's overdosed, but that she's in the hospital. And for him to get to the hospital, find out she's died. But it's like in an eight hour time frame. That's okay. You know what? That's true. <laughs> I kept forgetting that it was the next day. Like the night is fine. But in the next day when he's investigating, I keep forgetting that's all one day. Yes. <laughs> um. 
god because it's still light when he shows it's like still like it's 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 like dusk when he shows up at uh the guy's house and he he's playing pool or whatever um i mean that whole plot line is like one of the funniest character points in the movie uh which i you'll know more about this than me given you're in america i don't know like what the circulation of newspapers is would Tom Cruise's character buy the New York Post? No. <laughs> like, no, like, no he's too classy. It's, it's not like he that's all there is and he has to like appear busy. He is at a newspaper stand. He could have bought any newspaper. The, Why the, does he buy the New York Post? It's funny because like the, the, the cover has a very like it says, uh, I'm glad I'm alive or something. It, it's very like oh, be he, alive. Yeah, he picked that because it, like it's meant to be like visually like interesting if you see that and be like, oh, what does this mean for his mental state, you know, kind of film mm-hmm. some and stuff um but also new york post is like not quite a like tabloid but it's the closest a newspaper gets in america to being a tabloid it's a tabloid yeah well, that, that, well i mean being... that article is not about bat boy but it's like one step away from bat boy it's about <laughs> chemtrails or something <laughs> i'm wearing a bat boy shirt as we record this that's funny um uh, he's also being followed, so he just grabs the first thing that he yes. sees. Well, he doesn't because he's, he's at a newspaper stand. It's not. That's what I mean. Like he's got but, all the newspapers in front of him. But also, the post is running like an extremely hot off the presses thing about former beauty queen ODs in her hotel room. Like I don't even think they'd make a paper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the logic of that one is not like the movie is not about that. I don't think the movie is doing like isn't it crazy the post would do this? It's just kind of like it's convenient for movie yes. logic. Yes. Um, but it is hilarious to think about. Well, it is, it is like the kind of stuff you get in like an old timey noir. Like, I think it's interesting in way, the ways of this movie being in 99, like Nicole Kidman's hair and glasses, like feel old fashioned, but also everyone pulls out cell phones, but different people have different sizes of cell phones because it's 99 and what a cell phone means is very different, right? The first moment that like he pulls, like, it's very intentional because he's like been in this movie, he's kind of walking around, and then eventually his cell phone rings and he picks it up and he's like, oh right, you, we're in the time where you can do that. You can yeah. be interrupted by someone calling you on your phone, because it's 999. And he has like a, he has like a flip phone, and it, but he calls someone else, and I don't remember who it is, but there's someone who picks up a cell phone, and it's like, it's not quite the like 80s brick, but it's not not that. It's like just a huge single block ha- handset. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like that sounds really deliberate and interesting. Uh, yeah. Because, like, having a cell phone is, like, the kind that he has in this movie is not a common thing at, at this point, right? Like, a lot of doctors probably still have pagers at this point. Um, you probably. I mean, yes, this is, um, <laughs> this is... This, yeah. yeah. Yeah, pages are still around. Like, this version I was of, this surprised ver- by the cell phones. Yeah, this version of New York has payphones. Like, he walks past them all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's a payphone? Haven't seen one in, like, decades. <laughs> I'm still seeing payphones around. Oh, it's so weird. They turn them into Wi-Fi hotspots here now. Oh, great. But they are still around. That's what McDonald's are for. That is what McDonald's are for. (laughs) Gotta go get my Nintendo downloads at McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm I'm 17 and have a D. I was not 17 when the DS came out, but. I didn't have a cell phone, so I definitely was going to a McDonald's and downloading stuff on my DS before I had a cell phone. I need to get to a DS Connect point. Yep, exactly. Tom Cruise needs to get to a DS Connect point, but the Seeker Society <laughs> won't let him. <laughs> the scene where he's being followed by that guy is like pure comedy. Because he, he, he starts out, he's stressed, this guy's following him, and he's just like 
in the streetlight in a very deliberate way. And he slowly walked around, and he turned to the corner, and then he turned to the corner, and then he's coming around. And then when he's like standing at the thing, um, standing at the uh, newspaper stand, he's like waiting. He doesn't see him. He doesn't see him. And then he stepped through into the like into the streetlight, right on the corner, perfectly composed, as like bing on the piano plays. <laughs> and then he just like stares at him as he walks away again, and then eventually just leaves. And um, and like it's revealed that that is like. The guy following him was ordered by, uh, what's his name? By Sidney Pollack. Um, yeah. Who was, like, making sure he didn't, like, piss anyone off even more. Uh, because, uh, he's the only, like, he's the uh, Secret Society are not looking out for him in that way. They're just scaring him and, uh, cleaning up their business. And he was like, okay, I need to make sure he doesn't accidentally really get himself killed here. Um,. <laughs> Do we have anything else? Um, I don't uh, necessarily think I do. I did really enjoy the movie. I enjoyed the movie. Like at first, I wrestled with it. I didn't. I didn't like it. Maybe halfway through, but by the end, the the last line of the movie, I'm like, of course, that's all they need to do. It'll, it'll I... fix the problems, but. God, yeah, fuck each other. For I mean, the love of God. it is a great ending because the movie has at this point been like stretching out a running joke of just how often Tom Cruise is failing to fuck people. Because <laughs> true, every yeah, single, he doesn't get anyone. Every single situation is like people throwing his hand on him, and he's like, "I'm gonna have my affair now," or "I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm gonna go back to my this sex worker who was nice to me," or "Oh, I'm gonna gonna call up the grieving woman." <laughs> And then his uh. just like incredibly normal, <laughs> the incredibly normal boyfriend picks up instead and he's like, "Hello, I'm a math professor." <laughs> <laughs> Carl, I'm Carl. I'm Carl. Well, uh, Carl, classic like bit part with basically no lines, who is yet very funny purely on appearance. He's the most normal guy. Is that the guy from Dharma and Greg? Uh, it is the guy from Dharma and Greg. <laughs> Okay, he looked very familiar, and it was bothering me the whole movie. I'm like, that's a sitcom actor. Nah, well, at the time, I don't know if he was, if Dharma and Greg was still on the air or what. But yeah, I'm like, that's a guy from a TV show. Uh, all right, if that's it, who doesn't email questions? Yeah, uh, yeah. Questions. If, you, if you have emails, send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. It can be about anything. Uh, you know, don't have to be about the movie we're covering. I like general movie emails just as well. Uh, we have a couple questions from Joao. First one: What's your ranking of Kubrick films? I've not seen enough to truly do this. Well, rank what you've seen. I'll do my best. Someone else, I'm checking what I've seen to make sure I don't miss any. Yeah, I gotta look at a list because I haven't seen very many either. I have seen every Kubrick film. I will okay. give you my list. Number um, one, Barry Lyndon. Number two, 2001. Number three, Eyes Wide Shut. Number four, The Shining. Number five, Paths of Glory. I wanted to put this higher, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. And since it's a movie about like politics and war, I feel like I should rewatch it now that I have some ideology to see how I feel about it now. So it's a little lower than I initially had it. Uh, number six, Clockwork Orange. Uh, then Lolita. Then Full Metal Jacket. Then The Killing. Uh, Doctor Strangelove. Killer's Kiss. And Spartacus. Uh, I know there's a couple small like student films before that. I don't. I think I've seen one of them, but it was a long time ago and didn't stick in the memory. So, um, I've only seen five Kubrick films, which I guess isn't nothing. That's no, five no, movies. it's like half of them. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I've, uh, let me, hmm, well, Doctor Strange is at the bottom. I don't like it very much. Uh, I yep. also need to revisit it again eventually. I um, hate Spartacus, but I don't like Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> um, then I would say The Shining. Uh, then Full Metal Jacket. Mm, then probably Eyes Wide Shut, then Full Metal Jacket, then 2001 Space Odyssey. But I saw Full Metal Jacket a long time ago, so I'm un- you know, unclear exactly how that would hold up, but I do remember loving it. Mm-hmm. But 2001 was my favorite out of the ones I've seen. I need to watch Barry Lyndon. You've been basically telling me to do that for seven years. It's great. I, I want to do it for this, but honestly, I feel like doing it after we've done an Eye Shut episode, we're just going to say a lot of the same things, but about like class and like high society instead of about sexuality. Seems like a movie I should just watch. Yes. Um. Okay, out of what I've seen, I'm going to put Clockwork Orange at the bottom i like it stylistically but as an adaptation i don't like it then lolita mm, then eyes wide shut the shining i actually like dr strange love you and everyone 2001... else <laughs> 2001 a space odyssey and then full metal jacket is probably my favorite okay uh, my cutoff point is above Doctor Strangelove, so I like most of his movies. I think he's a pretty good director. Second question, how do you feel about directors tricking actors by misreading what their characters or what the movie's about? I tried to look up what this was in the context of Eyes Wide Shut and couldn't find anything other than, like, he was a difficult director and whatever. Um, there's a, there was a, because I found, like, rumors about Eyes Wide Shut, and there was a rumor that, like, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, like, were like demanded to be in each like in any like on set when anyone was like having sex doing sex stuff um and because he's kubrick and is like weird about close sets like he doesn't let anyone on the sets uh he would not let them into each other's scenes regardless barred from the set cannot be there for any of that <laughs> um, amazing but he seems like a difficult director uh, i get why people would want to work with him like you know you look at his movies like damn this guy's great and i know people say he sucks but he look at the movies he makes. Uh, that's that's how people get away with shit. Um, I don't know. It's it's bad. Don't be. Movies don't have to be like hard art. You know, like you could just like go and have work and make a movie. It's it's not it's not like an arcane science. You just go in and you act, and people tell you where to stand and what to say. Yep. A lot of people there's putting lights on you, right? Like it yes. just is what it is. <laughs> yep. Um, um, yeah. Um. No, yeah. It's weird. I also like like all the Kubrick movies I've seen. Mostly, I'm not a big fan of her. Um, Doctor Strangelove, but um, I, I do like uh, most of the films I've seen. Failsafe um, Gang. <laughs> Failsafe Gang, rise up! Failsafe Gang, Failsafe Gang. <laughs> Please watch Failsafe. Um, but it is it is strange that like he, after the 60s, he makes only four more movies. He takes fucking forever. Uh, and they're the, like, these most intense projects where he's, where like, you know, a lot of the people come out scarred. It's like, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Like, I like the movies, but come on. They're just come movies. On. Right. Would they're you like movies. it more than, like, a career of 20 more movies made normally? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, uh, is there any movie that really surprised you and discovered it was an adaptation from other media? This one being a novel really, like, puts a lot into sense. Like, the first time I watched it, I had no idea it was based on, like, a, you know, an 1820s novel. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I could tell it was a novel about halfway. Th- I just, so first of all, I know Kubrick often adapts novels, so yes. I was uh, assuming that. But like, it became really obvious when it was like 
she's talking about the dream sequence thing and i'm like oh this is a novel it would be about both of them but because it's a film we're focusing on him because he's doing things in the real world so we don't get as much like, anyway like they don't share the same screen time even though i'm like i bet in a written form this is about two people and not one guy having a breakdown um it, you know it's weird because like I, I was reading the this differences of from the novel on the wikipedia it, it, the novel seems like it might be like that but also the novel seems kind of bad okay that's weird i yeah, think, that I think the novel doesn't understand how funny this situation is oh well, i mean it's written in the 20s right like yeah exactly <laughs> takes everything very seriously you know the novel seems like it's much less kind to the wife character than the movie is i can't think of an answer to the question like usually i know things are adaptations going in i've Mm, and I can't say I've been surprised, but I'm overlooking something. I'm sure. I also this is, don't have like this a is ready to hand. Definitely, ha- I've like remember this happening to me. I can't remember what about, but I've definitely thought this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I feel like there's something I'm overlooking, and I'm very sorry. Um. Okay. Uh... I oh, I actually do. When we watched The Ascent, I didn't know that was based on the book when I was watching it, and then you tell me it was based on the book. And I was like, damn, that movie is mostly people sitting in silence. What's the what's the book? <laughs> <laughs> Um, see, this is, this is, uh, the idea that books are about people talking. It doesn't have to be, it could be anything. I, well, no, I, I also agree. That, that I know, like, I guess I, that was a bad way of phrasing it, but yes. Um, Dia, our friend Dia sent in a nightmare, um, of <laughs> eyes and evil eyes and horses and eggplants and aliens, uh, I and squirt, I was squirt emojis. Translate it. Uh, so it is, it is two questions, but they're they're intermixed. Uh, oh, what makes Lord okay. Zeno most jealous, and how does he cope? Okay, because I was like, "What? How makes what? How you? Oh, I'm I'm done." Zeno I'm- gets jealous when you put other gods before him and other things before him, and he copes by punishing you. Fair enough. I um don't know anything about Scientology. It sounds bad. We were talking. I was talking to Dusty as we were finishing up the movie. It's like it's sad that Tom Cruise just refused to age because we never got like hot like middle aged like Silver Fox Tom Cruise. He's like past it now. He's gonna go directly into like old grand looking Tom Cruise. He is um, fifty eight, still leading man. Yeah. Um. And Dusty's like, oh, that's that's Scientology, big on denial. And I was like, I don't actually know that much about Scientology. Like I know about like what they do to people, but not their belief system. I guess. <laughs> They just believe that, like, they're really, 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 really into self-actualization. And... Scientology's always seemed closer to me like a MLM and a cult than a religion. I don't know what they believe either, but that's the stuff I've got as well. It's a cult. It is a cult. Man, remember Scientology being the thing to all talk about in the mid-2000s? I mean, it's still still around. around. I assume they're still around. Yeah, that's all that's still around. In the world of, like, true crime being as popular as it is, the cult uh examination stuff is an offshoot of it it's huge um yeah i mean th- that going clear thing hit i've like read or listened to the audiobook of uh that right mm-hmm. that was leah that? remini just released like a doc i think it's a docuseries about leaving it mm-hmm. seems bad uh, uh there's some questions from tron who's your favorite character in this movie i like alan cumming Alan Cumming is standout. He's in like about ninety seconds, and he's just playing yep. the campus man. And it's Alan Cumming. It's yeah, great. I he think... just—I don't know. He just—and apparently he auditioned for that six times. Yeah, 
Oh, I don't know if I can find a camper man than Alan Cumming. <laughs> um, mine might be Sidney Pollock. I just think he, like, really... Anytime a guy sits down the main character, like, towards the end of a movie, is like, look, dude, you've been out of control. Everything here has been, like, has a clear explanation I'm going to lay it out to you. Best scene. It's all I'm looking for in movies. We should do the game sometime. <laughs> it does. That, that, that's t- good news for you. That's, like, an entire genre of film. I know, and I love all of them. <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic because <laughs> I like him too. I love the way he plays that stuff. I like uh, his explanation. I like how like weirdly reasonable he is. I love the um, big pan shot. Where he's like, "Do you want a drink?" And then like slowly pans to his world's biggest drink desk with a million different <laughs> shots and brandy and what. Like it's got every kind of variation of drink you could possibly put from one. It's on this <laughs> desk, uh, and I love the way he like callously talks about uh, Nick because like. Well, Nick, he probably got beat up. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's dead. I don't care. He deserves way worse for blowing this whole operation to you. <laughs> I'm like, damn. <laughs> he says, "I got in this job. How could he do this to me?" <laughs> yeah, that stuff is he really makes me great. look like an asshole. Because like, uh, the the way that like consequence is handled out in these like ritual circles, right? It's like we need the poor people, but the you know they are ex- seen as extensions of the people who signed off on them. Yes. Uh, and then, uh, what is there everything? Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite shot in this movie? Oh, that's hard. I don't. I, I liked. Okay, I, I didn't know this until later. I scrolled through the link M sent. All the like <laughs> CGI people standing in front of all the fucking scenes. Yeah, they are very I just funny. They're hilarious, and and I thought they were funny when I originally watched it, but knowing they were put there for the rated R version makes it way funnier. Yeah. I, I I just saw the regular one because I just had the uh, international version um, and I was watching it and then I went and looked at the, the same article that M sent and some of them are like just JPEGs just like <laughs> so yeah. put there in front of the sex scenes they're like directly in front of crotches it's hilarious the, the sex scenes are really funny because it's like deliberately about um, not even the like sex happening because like the thing that is meant to be shocking there right is that the the 80% of the people are just standing and very like still watching everyone uh it's they're very surreal scenes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah uh my favorite shot um gosh i think i think the one that like struck me is like really there's like two that i think are really good there's one where uh right before he gets called to uh sydney pollock's place he's walking down the hospital corridor and because it's lit like the rest of the movie but it's a hospital it just looks like the most like empty desolate dark place in the world uh because it's like the one place that has like fluorescent lights but they're all turned down really low because the kind of the way the movie shot and it just looks like the saddest place and then um when he goes into domino's apartment the the christmas tree is covered in lights to the point where the branches are like bent down because they just ran string like they just drape string lights like tinsel over the tree and i think it's great i think i love it <laughs> um and then the, the the shot where the guy's following him on the streets also just really good i'm like man the, the minute the, the like 30 seconds this movie is like a pot boiler spy movie for no reason <laughs> choice it's so good it's played so straight like it works too. so well yeah i liked that too that tickled me 
Um, then we have one last question from Alex. Uh, would you play an FMV adventure game if Tom Cruise flashing his uh, of Do- Tom Cruise flashing his Doctor ID like a detective badge? Yes, I would. Please, absolutely, one hundred percent. Make it. First of all, his photo's not even on the ID. Second of all, <laughs> as if it means anything and would make me less suspicious. Yeah. Yeah, you just can't get places into places just because you're a doctor. It doesn't make any sense. Like bit- the fact that he could like lie and say oh i'm so-and-so's doctor when he goes to see uh the one girl's body it's like they wouldn't let you in the the one for me is the one where he's um talking to that waitress and she's like i don't know i don't want to give his address out and she's like it's a medical emergency and she doesn't say so clearly he would have given you his phone number then you idiots like it makes right. it makes it less believable than just being it someone really does you could because if, if i'm in that situation what i do is i'm like I've got this, I've got to hand this to him, I've got to get it to him, do you know where he lives? I just need to drop it off. You try, you know, not that I've ever been a con man, <laughs> my <laughs> expert opinion on how to get people's addresses. <laughs> God. Um, I, I, always, I always specifically think of the, um, it's in Hannibal, but it's in Manhunter the movie where uh, Hannibal from his cell with a single phone call tries to get Will Graham's address, home address. It's really good. That's like probably the best scene of someone like conning their way into information they absolutely should not have. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. But you Man all think the, people should are... watch Manhunter. Manhunter is a fucking great movie. We should cover it sometime. It's so perfect. Because I don't think Jackson's seen it, right? I've not seen a single Hannibal thing. That's that's the most Jackson core movie in the entire world. Because uh, I never saw it as like a kick. Because I was like, "Oh, this is all horror stuff." But now I know it's all like weird, sad cop stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes, Manhunter is <laughs> the most sad cop stuff in the world. Um, Hannibal, the show, is like is too busy being weird to be about sad cop stuff. Uh, mm. Well, that's not true. Lawrence Fishburne's there to be the sad cop, and he's my yes! favorite sad cop in all of fiction. So, of course you know, he is. Fair yes. uh, Hannibal is one of my all-time favorite TV shows. It's like really it good. is in the top five. I love. If you haven't watched it, please watch it. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, I don't know what we're talking about. Oh, him flashing the badge. Hey, it reminds me of Phoenix Wright flashing his like attorney's badge everywhere in those games where you use it to get into places because it gives you it grants you access to stuff like you're a cop, but you're not. You're just an attorney. <laughs> um, but it is very much that um what's the, what's that FMV game with the guy who makes the hand sign? Jackson. Contra- contradiction. Contradiction. Yeah, contradiction, yeah. I knew you'd know. I did not know. Didn't remember. <laughs> You knew I wouldn't. <laughs> um, anyway, that's it. Again, abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com uh, for any questions. Next time, we are going to continue watching old movies, uh, and we're going to watch Lawrence of Arabia. And I said old when I meant long, uh, but both are true. Um, <laughs> and it is an old, long movie. <laughs> Dumbledore is a dead gay <laughs> movie. <laughs> on the top of the school. I know one thing about Eyes Wide Shut and two things about Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> um, I've seen Lawrence. I've Arabia. never seen it. We're in for a good time. There was that letterbox meme going around of like sort this list by most popular and list the twenty move the first twenty movies you haven't seen. And through it, the two that I really was like mad at myself were Mulholland Drive, which uh, our friend Autumn is doing a podcast and they're covering. It. It's called Ornate Stellar Stairwells. Check it out the expert audio network it's good um but they're covering that movie soon so i don't want to do it um i don't really want to cover lynch anyway particularly i just need to watch it but the other one was lawrence Arabia. i'm like how have i not fucking seen this movie 
I feel like when I was getting into film, like first understanding like old movies, like what was canon or whatever, it was like 2001 Lawrence Arabia were like the movies. And I've seen one of them. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, we're going to watch Lawrence of Arabia. We can see Peter O'Toole running around in the desert with his blue eyes. Yeah. Uh, plugs. Destiny. Uh, at Fridge Buzz now in most things, and I have another podcast on the Abnormal Mapping Network called Battling Girls. So yeah. check it out at abnormalmapping.com slash Battling Girls. Jackson. You can find me at Headfuls Off on Twitter.com. You can find the podcast ID at abnormalmapping.com. There's a bunch of cool ones there. Go listen to them. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. Uh, this podcast and all of the podcasts on our network are uh, Patreon supported. Patreon.com slash normal mapping. $1 gets you the Great Gundam Project. Uh, $10 gets you VoIP Life, where we goof off every two weeks about some bullshit. That's mostly video games lately, but we did do a West Wing episode a couple weeks ago that I thought was pretty good. That's because we're going gamer mode. <laughs> yeah, we're going gamer mode, but I'm about to have a bunch of free time because I'm about to lose my job uh, next week, last Friday. The Friday, I, this is coming out on Monday probably so Friday it's my last day of work and then I'm going to be home for a little while until I find a new job and uh, I'm probably going to watch a lot more movies that's my goal anyway um, instead of doing a bunch of work I'd like to like relax and enjoy things yeah enjoy things we'll see how well that goes I'm bad so, at that it's um, your first month off in a decade you have to enjoy it I'm ordering uh, yeah, you yeah you have to please um, anyway uh, so yeah um, VoIP Life might be more movies we also specifically at $5 have a podcast called Blockbusters we're meant to do the one for this month uh, two weeks ago and now we have to do it next week um, but we watch a movie and break it down and mostly talk about like Blockbuster films as like vehicles for like ideology and worldview it's like a way more political podcast than this one but i mean that in that we get angry and yell a lot in like a fun way it's it's good um uh, we, we won't be doing that this month though because we're no. <laughs> yeah we, we recently did hot fuzz and i thought that episode was really good um Revisiting that movie is weird because uh, it's very much of its time. It's a weird time capsule film. But we're covering Final Fantasy Spirits Within, which I remember liking a lot, even though it's not a very good movie. So we're going to have a good time talking about that. Dr. Aki Ross is back. We should probably podcast. do that like today. No, I felt like we should do that next Sunday. All right. Because I have to watch three episodes of anime today. Oh, oh. We should have done it last week. We shouldn't have put it off. Yes. We, we screwed us. We, this is why yes. we had it last week. And now we're in hell. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for listening, it's everyone. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, until next time, movies. Now more than ever. Don't expect to like it.